Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. We are continuing our study here in the book of Romans, and we are going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to walk through the chapter together, and it begins right out of the gate with the first verse reminding us that as Christians, we are called to be living sacrifices. Paul is kind of developing this um, picture for the, um, the church in Rome, just launching off of uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system and, what, uh, what, and how as Christians, we are now integrated uh, here in the New Covenant. So right out of the gate, we're going to look here in uh, the first couple verses and hopefully identify that we should respond to God's mercy. And our response to God's mercy is by giving um, our all to Him. And really, as we'll see, that the living sacrifice is is ourselves. He uses a specific term, um, our bodies, meaning the whole person. The word, therefore, in verse 1 indicates a key transition in this epistle. And the practical teachings that follow, they do have their basis, as we mentioned earlier, in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And the mercies that are outlined in chapters 1 through 11, and then as we get through the Old Testament system, we realize that the burnt offering was something that was completely devoted to God. And because the burnt offering was something something that was completely devoted to God, therefore, we, uh, as living sacrifices, are also supposed to be completely devoted to Him as well. So when we think of this example, we consider Christ and what He did for us, and how He was completely devoted um, as a sacrifice on our behalf. So as we um, continue on, we're, we uh, one of the places that we can identify um, the significance of the Old Testament sacrificial system and apply that um, to the example that Paul provides in verse 1 is in Leviticus chapter 1, 6 through 9. And it, and it displays the elements and the order, the arrangement, the cleansing and the totality of the sacrifice when the high priest gave it. And in that way, a living sacrifice is no different. And we have specific commands and principles that the Lord wants us to follow as we are his believers. So this type of offering can only happen as the believer understands the necessary changes that need to be made. And some of these changes are negative and some of these changes are positive. And he uses this this language that we should not be conformed to the world. And this conforming speaks of an individual assuming attitudes and behaviors that don't match who he or she is in Jesus Christ. So the underlying danger is that believers will allow the present evil system to pervade this world and to shape and to mold them into sinful patterns. So to flip the script from being conformed to the world, he then identifies that we should be transformed. And that transformation is something that that takes place within and and, um, starts from the inside out. In fact, the word transformation that's used here uh, is at its core, the Greek word that's um, translated is at the core of our word metamorphosis. And this word is intended to convey a change. Again, from the inside out, we're not trying to shape ourselves into a mold. We are trying to be changed from the inward man, and that is flowing out through the outward person, how people view, how people see us. And this type of transformation begins in the mind. It is the seat of intellectual and moral judgment. The Holy Spirit uses the truths of the Word of God to shape and transform our thinking. And that leads to a change of both heart and lives. And as believers, minds are transformed through God's Word, prayer, and Christian fellowship, then we are transformed to approve and desire God's will for our lives, rather than focusing only on our own plans and our own purposes. There is no greater fulfillment than to be experiencing daily a close walk with the Lord. But this happens only through nonconformity to the world, a, a concerted effort to not be conformed to this world, and a concerted effort to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God who now indwells us as believers. So we need to surrender all that we are to God and allow his word to change us. What does it look like to surrender everything to God? Well, simply put, we become willing to do whatever he leads us to do, and he and his will will become our highest priority. 
And how does God use His Word to make us more like Christ? By learning God's Word, it causes us to think more like Christ and changes our mind from the inside out and leads us to act more like Him as well. So we're going to jump into the next few verses here. Um, you hang on and we'll, we'll be right back together here in just a minute. We are back in Romans chapter 12, and we're jumping ahead into verse 3 through 8. We're talking about this concept of being a living sacrifice. We identified a little bit about the Old Testament sacrificial system and how that helps inform us how we should live as living sacrifices for the Lord. And we are responding to God's mercy, what God um, has done for us, or rather what God chose not to do um, when he provided his mercy for us. And part of that is, is providing us these gifts that we can use to serve him. And a lot of these gifts are identified in verses 3 through 8. And as believers, we're called to serve God. That's part of who we are. That's what God desires for us. And he doesn't leave us without um, being equipped to uh, achieve those goals that he's designed for us. And he mentions a lot of these different spiritual gifts. His, his first instruction is to have an appropriate attitude and view of oneself. Having already established the importance of renewing our minds, we talked about in verse 2, he emphasizes a spirit of humility in how we view ourselves and in the use of our gifts. Being a sacrifice is one who is dead to themselves. And you can't hurt a dead man. You can't hurt a dead woman. You, these, we are dead to our own priorities, and we see Jesus' priorities as our highest motivation and goal. And the graces of which Paul speaks of in verse 3 is the grace that saved him and made him an apostle of Jesus Christ. So as an apostle, he could warn the Romans about thinking more highly of themselves than they should. And instead, all believers must view themselves soundly, humbly, understanding that our faith and giftedness comes from God, and that we're to use these things to serve the Lord, and we're to use it in a way that he sees fit. So what is Paul emphasizing? He is emphasizing that the reality that God had given believers all that they had as expressions of his grace, including their spiritual gifts. He then reminds them of the importance of having unity. There is no gift that is greater than any other gift. And we must keep that in mind when we're talking about unity, that every part of these diversity of gifts is something that God has used for his purposes to equip the church as one whole body. He uses the illustration of a human body. And Paul spoke of every believer having a specific function in that body. He references this terminology in verse 6, that we are members one of another. And these terms, gifts, refers to the special abilities given by God to serve him. God, as a result of his grace, allots these gifts for our use in the ministry to further the body of Christ. Now, there's a summary of these gifts. Paul alludes to them as gifts of grace, and he reminds the readers of the need to exercise their gifts faithfully and enthusiastically. Well, this list isn't exhaustive. Below are those ones that Paul felt necessary to mention while he's writing to the Roman church. And here's some that he identifies. He talks about prophecy, which is the gift of conveying to others the message of God in either a foretelling or foretelling way or preaching God's revealed truth. The ministry of service. This term speaks of helping others carry out their specific duties of service to the church. It's the ministry of teaching, which is imparting the truth of God's message to people with the intended purpose of understanding and clarification. There's also the gift of exhorting or encouraging, which often is used as a simply encouragement, but likely speaks specifically of encouraging and urging people to live as taught in the scriptures. Another is the gift of giving, the idea of giving with generosity. And we understand that all believers are called to give, but there are those that are especially gifted to earn, make money, specifically for the purpose of generosity to the Lord's work. There's a gift of leading and how to manage something well with a strong emphasis on caring for it, being a good steward of it. Then there's the gift of showing mercy, and that's demonstrating kindness, especially towards the sick and the needy. 
And these aren't independent buckets of gifts. You may find that you have a variety of these things in your life, but you'll generally find that there's a certain emphasis that really pours out of these gift of graces that God has given you. And we need to identify where is God calling and equipping us to further the ministry of the local church that we find ourselves a part of. So use the spiritual gifts and abilities God has given you to serve Him and His church. Why is it more important for every believer to use his or her spiritual gifts in service to God and His church? Well, first we've identified that God created and gifted each of us to do certain deeds and ministries for Him. And Ephesians 2 and verse 10 reminds us that we are much more can be accomplished for God's kingdom when every believer is using his or her gift to serve. We want the church to function at its highest level, but that's only possible if every member is involved and understands their gifting and is furthering their gift for the purpose of the ministry. And then finally, how does, how does your church, how does my church help people discover their gifts? How do we help plug people into service? Well, there's all different kind of avenues of helping people first identify their gifts. Then hopefully you're part of a local church where there are opportunities for ministry, for you to experiment, for lack of a better word, to find out, is this a place where God wants me to be? Is this where I can find joy, where I can find a useful place of service? A lot of it can sometimes be trial and error, but know this, you have a gift. If you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you, you have a gift of grace that God wants to use in your life to further the ministry. So I encourage you, talk to those people in leadership in your local church, wherever you find yourself, whether it's your pastors or teachers or whoever, and find a place where you can come alongside someone and begin to exercise your gift in a meaningful way. So we're going to come back and look at the last section here, uh, verses 9 through 21, and wrap up this whole concept of being living sacrifices. Welcome back. As we conclude our study here in Romans chapter 12, we're going to look over the final totality of the rest of the chapter here, verses 9 through 21. We'll walk through what a living sacrifice is. We've also continued and identified some of the giftings that God uses in our lives um, when, we dis- when we determine to become uh, living sacrifices for Him. The last section is here is that we should respond to God's mercy with Christ-like conduct. So first we come humbly, knowing who we are in light of Jesus Christ. We understand that God has equipped us with certain gifts to further the ministry. Now we get to the end of the chapter and we're identifying what are we supposed to do with these gifts? How do we live this out in a Christ-like way? Remember we go back to our first first two verses and that we are, Paul was identifying on how to live the transformed life by the gospel. And that responds to God's blessings. The relationships mentioned in the corresponding instructions provide insight for believers in their interactions. With both other believers and in this chapter, he identifies how do we interact with non-believers. Exhortations range from, range from love for other Christians to hospitality to strangers, all with a series of short commands that include both positive and negative exhortations. The whole of this section is rooted in love. That is the primary focus of all of these relationships, that they are rooted in love. And in verse 9, the specific action of love is the primary ingredient for relational success. And we understand that to be the case. This love has been demonstrated by God and should be practiced without hypocrisy. In other words, the love of believers should be akin to God's love and must be done without pretense, without insincerity, and certainly without showmanship. The one who sincerely loves God and others should also hate evil and cling to that which is good. So the Apostle Paul began to deal with the relationships within the church in verse 10. And the same type of love demonstrated by God must be demonstrated to fellow believers. Paul commanded brotherly love, or family affection, a term that spoke of being bound by family ties. 
In loving like this, the child of God will find him or herself giving honor or preference to one another instead of seeking it for themselves. This principle is best exercised at home. It's, it's understood at home, and then it can be branched out to other areas of life. And this same principle was taught by Paul in Philippi in chapter 2, that we should and should be emulated by every believer. And this act alone would either repair or prevent division, and that's what Satan loves to cause in churches today. As we move on to verses 11 and 12, Paul speaks of remaining patient or steadfast as we serve the Lord and to serve the Lord with diligence. While this principle could be applied to any hardship, commentators feel it's likely the apostle had persecution in mind. The only way to remain steadfast is for the believer to be in constant prayer. It is God who enables the believer to stay true to their faith. Paul then admonished the church to be hospitable to outsiders and generous with one another. And then as we get to verse 14 through 17, Paul instructs that we um, more they, his instructions become more generic and include those outside the church. When facing adversity and persecution, the typical way of responding to those persecuting us is to reciprocate and to treat them in the same way. But Paul contrasts that and he encourages the reader to bless or to speak well of these individuals and not to curse them. Scholars believe Paul may have had Jesus or Stephen in mind when penning these words. What an example that they provided a blessing rather than cursing their persecutors. As we get to verse 15, it serves as a reminder that the believer must be able to empathize with others. Whether they follow Christ or not, practicing this type of empathy leads to rejoicing with others when things are good and not being jealous and weeping with others when things are bad rather than avoiding what can sometimes be an uncomfortable situation. But living in such a way will enable believers to live in harmony with one another. So finally, Paul exhorts his exhortations go even further in directing our attitudes and actions towards those we may consider enemies. So first it's fellow believers, then the instruction is for unbelievers, now it's for those that might be wholesale against us. While the governing authorities followed the Old Testament principle of an eye for an eye, Paul commanded individual believers not to repay evil for evil. We are instead to strive for peaceful relationships with everyone, even when experience opposition and hatred from others. While the natural tendency is to distribute justice ourselves, it is God who has the final word, and he has promised to avenge his followers, as we read in verse 19. Leave these things with God. Don't lose your soul over injustice that has happened to you. Allow and understand that it is God in his own time who will offer his own vengeance, as the scripture says. While the fleshly tendency is to respond negatively to those who would harm or oppose us, the apostle encouraged the believer to act contrary to this tendency. This is demonstrated as the Christian feeds the hungry enemy and gives him water to drink. In doing this, the enemy of the gospel may become ashamed and penitent. And it is possible that Paul had in mind an Egyptian ritual in which a person showed penitence by carrying a pan of burning charcoal on his head. In summary, verse 21 asserts that the need for the believer to respond with love and blessing as opposed to hate and revenge. So follow Christ's words and example in daily living. How do unbelievers usually respond to those who oppose or hate them? And in contrast, how should believers respond to those who oppose or hate them? And I think we understand that we ought to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. And maybe as we heard earlier, um, Paul was thinking back of Stephen when he was stoned and how he conducted himself even in the face of intense persecution. So why do we need the Holy Spirit's help and power to live as God's called us? Well, these attitudes and actions, they simply don't come naturally to you or I. They go against our sinful nature, and we are not able to live this way in our own strength. But we are grateful that we have the eternal power of the Holy Spirit living in us and living through us and equipping us to be living sacrifices that can further the church and the gospel work with which he's called us to. 
So I hope this lesson was helpful. I look forward to studying with you again. Thank you for joining us on the Calvary Couples Podcast.